Uh, really excited this morning um, to kind of get to continue. Last week we started a new uh, series through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy uh, called First Things. And uh, today we're going to get to continue on um, digging into God's Word. So if you have your Bibles or a version, uh, go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 3 through 7. If you have the app, uh, Bible app on your phone, version, then you can pull up uh, the notes for the day already will be there for you. Just hit the live button and then search for our church, and uh, they'll be right there for you, which is kind of a, a fun thing to, uh, to get to dig into. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to pray really quick, and uh, we'll get started. Father, we're thankful for your word. God, thankful for the truth that is contained within. And God, I pray that today your word the word of God, the word of truth, um, produces in us right living, right action, um, so that you will be glorified. Lord, have our hearts open to hear your truth, respond to it, and live it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I had something that frightened me to death. And for a lot of kids, it's the monster under the bed, it's the ghost behind the door. Um, For me, it was Darth Vader, right, right? So like I would wake up from my dreams at night, not really awake, but I would, I would dream that Darth Vader is like standing inside of my closet with a door open and he's just breathing really heavy doing the Darth Vader thing. He never like came after me physically or did anything to hurt me, but he's just like standing in my closet breathing. And some nights I would wake up from my dreams and he would just be standing over my bed, breathing. There's nothing really scarier for a kid than something like that. That makes us afraid to go go to sleep at night, haunts us inside of our dreams. And for me, Darth Vader was that thing. And one day my parents were finally able to convince me that Darth Vader was not real that he would not appear to me uh, in real life in my room and be standing in my closet breathing. Uh, This whole thing is fake. And that was good and bad for me. One, it was bad because I had to come to grips with the fact that the Star Wars universe is fake and not a real thing. Um, But it was also good because I was able to sleep better at night. I wasn't afraid to go to sleep. And so it affected my life in a real and in a positive way. As we, as God's people, begin to understand truth and not fiction, it helps us be able to live our lives the best way possible, the way that God has designed for us to live in a way that doesn't cause fear, it causes boldness and courage. And so for us, understanding the truth affects the way that we respond. But here's the problem. In our world today, there is a lot of false truth. There is a lot of lies. There are many things that are being told to us, even as believers, that aren't true. And they get in the way from us understanding what the truth really is. And the most dangerous lies are the ones that slip into our minds without us even noticing it. They come in and we believe them to be truth because of maybe where we hear them from. And we as Christians have to be on guard. This morning, we're going to talk a lot about 
false teaching and false truth, and then we're going to talk about the real deal. And I hope that you guys will be able to see and understand from the Word of God that it is so important that as Christians, we are on guard from what is false. We are on guard for the lies, and we are holding fast to what is true. And ultimately today, we're going to land on this idea that having the right beliefs about God helps us to live the right way and before him. Last week, Pastor David laid a great foundation for us, and he talked about the importance of Scripture. He talked about how it's true, how it's trustworthy, how we can rely on it. And he landed on this idea that the Word of God dispenses blessing for those who believe. And God's Word is foundational for us. It's trustworthy. We can rely on it. And even more importantly, we can apply it and we can live it. God's word is not without purpose. It's purposeful. It has a goal and it has an aim. And its goal and its aim is that we take in the truth and live it correctly. And today we're going to dig in to see exactly what um, that looks like. So if you guys are with me in 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's dig into verses 3 through 7. Paul says this, writing to Timothy. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. The first thing that we need to see from this text in verses 3 and 4 is that we need to believe the right things about God. And so Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus because... He realizes there's a problem in the church at Ephesus with false teaching going on. And so he sends Timothy to Ephesus so that Timothy can step in, that he can guard the gospel, that he can protect the church from the false teaching that is going around. Because inside of the church, there were people who were taking the word of God, they were taking the Old Testament, and they were adding in things that weren't there. What were they adding in? In verse 4, he talks about this. He says that they're devoting themselves to myths, endless genealogies, promoting speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Basically, they're taking portions of the Old Testament and they're retelling it. They're filling in gaps. They're making sure that they've, they've got stories for everything that's happening. When they took these long genealogies that we find in the Old Testament, they would create uh, uh, characters who are there and and create these stories about their life, filling in what's happening. Also, something that was prevalent in the day was a teaching called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism wasn't really based in the Christian faith, but it began creeping into the Christian faith. And Gnosticism held high this view that anything that is matter or anything that is flesh is bad. And so people who are Gnostics would avoid things of the flesh. They didn't want to find any pleasure in life at all. Um, so they didn't get attached in relationships. They wouldn't marry because there's pleasure in marriage. Um, they wouldn't eat any kind of food that brought them pleasure um, to take down because that was 
bringing them pleasure. And that was a bad thing for them. And so that teaching started coming in and creeping into the church. And what happened is, is that people who were Christians who started to believe Gnosticism basically started to create additional rules. They started to create additional laws that weren't found in the Bible just to kind of add on to whatever they already believed. And so all of these things kind of combined in this moment in the church where false teaching was creeping in like never before, and Paul sends Timothy to guard the gospel, to protect the gospel and not let this false teaching come in, mess it up, ruin it, get in the way of it doing what it does. The truth is, guys, today, false teaching is just as rampant inside of the church as it was then. And just like it was then, many of us listening to the radio, watching television, reading books, are hearing things about God that simply aren't true, and they're sneaking into our minds and becoming a part of our thought process because we don't know how to guard the truth in our lives. I've got a few ways. Um, these, are, these are ways for us as believers to kind of ultimately detect truth and whether truth is coming through. How are we able to spot teaching when it comes across and it's false? Here's the first one. Any teaching that's focused on you is likely false teaching. Any teaching that is focused on you and not Jesus is likely false teaching. If you're hearing teaching, if you're hearing things and reading books, and the focus of that is you and blessing you and giving you stuff that you want and that you desire, it's likely false teaching. If you're leaving a hearing people teach scripture, teach things about God, and you leave week after week and you feel good about yourself and feel like you can do uh, pretty much anything, likely what you're hearing is false teaching. Because here's what the gospel tells us about us. It tells us that all of us have sinned and that we've fallen short of the glory of God. It tells us that the wages of sin is death. It tells us that no one is righteous, not even one. And it tells us that our best works are like filthy rags. Thankfully for us, the gospel doesn't stop there, but a true understanding of the gospel tells us that while we were sinners, while we were stuck in that terrible predicament, Christ came and gave himself for us. That's the hope of the gospel. God doesn't leave us in that state. He sends Jesus And so when God looks at us, he is pleased with us, not because of what we've done, not because we have it all together, but because of what Christ has done for us. God looks at us and he's pleased. True teaching of the gospel isn't focused on us. It's always focused on Jesus. It might be directed to us. It's something that we need to take and we need to apply and we need to live out. But ultimately, it sees in us that we have failed, but that Jesus won. And so we celebrate Jesus and not ourselves. 
Number two, any teaching that asks more questions than it gives answers is likely false teaching. We live in a postmodern age, and basically this postmodern age basically has this one big mantra, this statement that drives us, and that is to question everything. We question everything. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is something that's truth for us to hold on to. You see it everywhere. We analyze things to death on Facebook and argue about them. You see it on news or we're worried about what people wore at an awards show or deflated footballs or whatever it is. Like we have to question everything to death. And the problem for us as believers is that it's creeping into the church as well. And many of us aren't even seeing that the things that we're reading and hearing about God are just leaving more questions in our mind than giving us answers. There's a best-selling Christian book of this decade that likely many of you have read that starts off this way. It says, I'm a part of this global historic stream of people who believe that God has not left us alone, but has been involved in human history from the beginning. People who believe that in Jesus, God came among us in a unique and powerful way, showing us a new kind of life, giving each of us a new vision for our life together, for the world we live in. So far, so good. Here comes the problem. And as a part of this tradition, I embrace the need to keep painting, to keep reforming, By this, I don't mean cosmetic, superficial changes like better lights and music, sharper graphics and new methods with easy-to-follow steps. I mean theology, the beliefs about God, Jesus, the Bible, salvation, the future. We must keep reforming the way the Christian faith is defined, lived, and explained. That's a question-everything theology. It's saying, yes, we need to question the Bible. Yes, we need to question God. Yes, we need to question Jesus. And the problem is, is that this was not only a Christian bestseller, but a national bestseller as well. And Christians all over the world read that, and it just passed through their head without them even thinking that what they just read was false. That there are answers, that there is truth, and that it's found right here in the Word. Of God. Does that mean it's wrong to question? No. We all have questions. We have things that we don't understand. But the important thing is to understand that in the end there are answers. And that for every question we have, God's word speaks truth into that. Number three, any teaching that produces something other than love in your life is likely false teaching. Galatians 5, through 23, we see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that we as Christians wear. They're what happens in our life as we live. These are expressed in what we do. And any teaching that is producing something other than love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our life, is false. Those are our aim, not hatred, not anger, not bitterness. When I worked uh, downtown at First Baptist Charleston, twice while I was there, uh, our church was protested by Westboro Baptist Church. 
Uh, many of you have probably heard of Westboro Baptist Church. They are a group of people wandering around in the name of Jesus, preaching false truth that leads them to anger, hatred, and bitterness. That is not what the gospel produces in our life. The gospel produces love. Lastly, most importantly, any teaching that says you need Jesus plus anything is false teaching. There is nothing else. Jesus is enough. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There is nothing but Jesus that you need to be saved. It's by him It's through him, and it's for him. In our digital age today, um, there are lots of crimes that are growing with uh, the Internet and all the technologies that we've had. And one of them uh, that's really growing in our day is counterfeiting. With all the printers that we have and these opportunities that we have, now people are printing counterfeit money and using it and getting away with it on a pretty consistent basis. And what's interesting about counterfeiting is the people who study counterfeit money to know that it's fake and know that it's false, they don't spend their time with a, 20, a fake $20 bill learning a lot about color-shifting inks. They're not spending their time learning about watermarks or ultraviolet glows or fiber quality. Instead, they take the real thing, a real $20 bill, And they spend hours with it, figuring out what it feels like, knowing every single detail on it, so that when something that is false comes across their desk, they know it immediately. And the reason they know it immediately is because they know the truth so well. Ultimately, guys, for us, the way that we guard ourselves from false teaching is because we know the truth so well. Well, and we have got to be like those people who spend hours studying a $20 bill. We have an opportunity to spend hours studying the very Word of God, and we have got to take it seriously. Many of you are involved in a huddle, and you've learned the SOAP method of how to journal through Scripture. And it's so important, but I pray and I hope that for you, it doesn't stop with your huddle that you're in once a week. But the daily, you are taking time to spend in God's word, allowing him to speak to you, finding things that you can live out and apply in your life from the word of God. It's the only way that we can guard ourselves from what is lies. We have got to believe what is right. And when we believe what is right and what is true, it affects our life. Wrong belief leads to wrong action. Right belief leads to right action. 
David talked about last week, how the word of God produces something in us. And what it produces is right action. John Calvin, one of the great reformers, said, Doctrine is an affair, not of the tongue, but of life. What we believe only matters because it's what we live. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. That carries us into our second point. First, we've got to believe the right things about God. Second, we've got to live with the goal of love. This is in verse 5. This is, verse 5, the theme verse, really, for this whole book of 1 Timothy. It is something that you're going to hear us go back to week and week and week because it's vital for understanding the rest of the book. And here's what he says. He says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So Paul's given Timothy the goal of stopping false teaching, and he knows it's going to happen and produce love. Because when teaching is true and right, love is the outcome. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus is asked this question, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. On love depends all the law and prophets. Love is the ultimate goal, first to God and then to man. The whole law is summarized first in the Ten Commandments, and then Jesus takes those Ten Commandments and he summarizes them into two great commandments. The goal of both is love. So the right belief is our starting point. Our end goal is love, but how do we get there? What do we do in the middle? We've got to apply it. We've got to live it out. Paul says this in three ways. One, with a pure heart. It's a heart that's focused on God. It's a heart that's confessing sin daily. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A pure heart is a pure heart before God, saying, Lord, here I am. I want to know you. Forgive me. I want to know you more. Number two, a good conscience. A good conscience is an awareness of the quality of our actions. It's asking the question about ourselves. Do our actions, the things that we do, live up to the things that we say we believe? And if we're doing things that don't match what we say we believe, we don't have a good and clear conscience. We have a bad conscience. And our conscience is bad when we're doing things that violate the things that we believe. A good conscience knows that we can live, do the things we do, and not violate what we believe. Number three is a sincere faith. It's a real faith. It's a faith that doesn't just say I believe, but it's a faith that lives out that belief without hypocrisy. It's really easy for us to say I believe that God is good and that God is working out things for good in my life, but to then turn around and complain about life says that we don't really believe it. 
It says that we say we believe it. And if we have a sincere faith in God that he's good and that he's working even difficulty for good in our lives, it means that we trust him to do it. We believe and we trust him and we live like we believe. Living with a goal is important. We have to have an end goal in what we do, what we strive for. If I said, you know what, I want to be a better husband to my wife, Emily. It's not going to happen for me sitting on the couch, watching another episode of Parks and Recreation. Right? Like, I've got to set a goal to make it happen. And then I've got to strive towards that goal if it's going to happen. It's not going to randomly happen. I can't just keep doing the things that I'm doing now and expect for my marriage to be better. I have to set a goal, and then I have to strive for it. I have to say, you know what? Let's put down our phones and our iPads and go for a walk or go to dinner together. Let's turn off the television, spend some quality time together. If I want to know her better and have a better relationship with her, it means that I set the goal and I move in that direction. It means that I say things like, Let's talk about what God's teaching us in his word daily. Let's have conversations about this. Let's grow together. The game of golf is another really good illustration of this. Just imagine, many of you have played golf, I'm sure. I'm terrible at it. I used to play it a lot in high school. But uh, back when I played golf, I know this, that if I went out on the golf tee and I'm looking out, trying to find the direction that I'm aiming my shot in, and for some reason at this golf course, there are no greens And there is no flag telling me which direction to go. Instead, it's just wide open in every direction. I'm going to have a really hard time getting that ball in that hole. We're talking about a four-inch hole that's somewhere hundreds of yards away from me in like this circle. And so it might take me hours or days to even get there. But thankfully in golf, we have a goal. We have a green that we can look to and say, there we go. And sticking out of that hole, there's a flag that gives us something even better to aim towards. And so I know I need to hit the ball in this direction. I need to use this club, and I need to hit the ball this hard. It still doesn't help me a ton. But it's good for us to know the direction we're aiming in and the way that we're going. It's the same in our lives. If we don't have a goal in our lives, a purpose for what we do to aim towards, then our lives end up being vain and meaningless. We've got to have that goal. It makes all the difference. Knowing that love is the target, that love is the goal of our lives, helps us know what to do when that person at work does something that wrongs us. It helps us know what to do when we're faced with one of our friends who's dealing with a sin that makes us really uncomfortable. We stand on truth. We live it out with love as the goal, love as the target. D.A. Carson, great theologian of our day, said this, nobody drifts towards godliness. It doesn't just happen. You can't expect to just do what you're doing and move in that direction. You've got to have a target. You've got to have a goal. And you've got to move in the right direction. 
Jesus, in, I mean, Paul in Romans 13, uh, verses 8 through 10, quoting Jesus, says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the goal. Love fulfills the word of God as we seek to live it out in our lives. It helps us. We're able to think through what we believe and think through how we're living and then look and see if the direction that we're aiming at is love. And if we're not aiming in the direction of love, then it helps us to know something's off. And so we go back to the starting point and say, am I believing the right things? And then am I living out the right things based on that belief? And hear me this morning. I'm not talking about a kind of like pansy, superficial love that knows something is wrong, but still just kind of meanders its way around it, even when something is violating the truth of God's word. That's not love, that's fear. Love can sometimes be hard to hear. It can be difficult, it can be challenging, it can be convicting, but love always looks out for the best of someone. Even when it's tough, even when it's hard. Timothy is in this situation. He has these false teachers and he has to stand up, stand firm on the truth of God's word, dealing with them, but still end up with love as the goal. In this series, we're going to be looking at some difficult subjects, dealing with some things that are hard. And we're going to aim and strive and push to see that love is always the goal of what we talk about, standing firm on truth and on the word of God, but aiming towards love as the goal. As we finish our time together, Paul kind of brings this full circle in verses 6 and 7. He says, Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So Paul's saying, look, these teachers are false. They're missing the mark. Their aim is off. They're shooting in some other direction than Love, And when we do that, what we end up with is vain and pointless sayings, arguments, truth, and questions. But these guys wanted to be teachers. They want to stand in front of people. They want to have the most followers on Twitter. But they don't know the truth. They don't understand the word of God. And so they mask that with confidence. And just because they're confident, someone believes what they have to say, and they're moved and directed away from the gospel onto things that are vain and that are pointless. And we have to be so careful that we don't let that happen to us. When we stray, we get robbed of what's true, of what's inside. Spending time with God's word, is, is, it's no good if we're not applying it, if we're not living it, if we're not aiming towards love. If our beliefs aren't causing love, then they're pointless. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and angels that have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Without love, truth is nothing but a bunch of noise. It's like a person standing on the street corner that people hate, declaring truth, but he doesn't love them. And to them, all that they hear is noise and garbage. But that's not what truth is supposed to be like. And we, as people of God, have got to understand that if we're going to live and stand on truth, then love has got to be our goal. Otherwise, the world looks at us and says, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Love is the goal. And if we desire to see people come to faith in Christ, we have to, yes, stand on the truth of God's word, but we have to aim and direct and devote ourselves to love. As we work through, again, this series, we're going to be dealing with some hard issues of sin. Some things where people are going to potentially be uncomfortable. And as we speak the truth of God's word, if we did it without love, it would turn people away. They wouldn't want to know it. They wouldn't want to hear it. But our hope and our prayer is that we as a church at Cane Bay always, yes, stand firm on the word of God. But do it out of a heart of love that expresses love towards people who just are so far away from God that they don't know what to do with themselves. And allow them to know the fact and the truth that there's a God who loves them more than anything. And what he desires is to bring them to himself so that they can experience his love and his presence and know the goodness that's found within Love makes truth easier to hear. It doesn't take away from the truth. It's just a lot easier to love someone when you have your arms wrapped around them. They're going to hear what you're saying so much better than if you're yelling at them. Our bottom line today, having the right beliefs about God helps us to live the right way before him. Some of us in here are stuck on that first point. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know what it means to have the right beliefs about God. You don't have a relationship with him yet. You're that person who's struggling to understand all this, but is far from God, and God desires for you to be near to him. Your starting point is the gospel. It's the fact, the truth of God's word, that Christ came, and while you were still a sinner, he died for you. And he took the sin that you had off of you and put it on himself when he was put to death on a cross. And that sin was killed. And as Jesus rose from the grave to have new life, he's given you the opportunity for new life as well. If you're just willing to accept the truth of who he is and have this right belief of who he is and how much he loves you. In a moment... Our band's going to go ahead and come up, and we're going to move into a time of communion. If that's you, and you're kind of at that starting point, and you want to take that right 
step of, of believing the truth about God. The Christians in our room, those who are followers of Jesus, those who have already taken that step are going to come forward and take communion. They're going to celebrate the work that Jesus has done for him that we, we just talked about and have joy in celebrating that, that Christ did that for him, that, that he died for them, and they have experienced the love and grace of the Father. If you're at that starting point while that's happening, I'm going to be standing in the back, and I hope that you will take the time to come back. Let's talk together. Let's pray together. Let's see if we can get you to that moment of right belief so that you can take a next step. The rest of us in here who are Christians, who are believers, we might have the right beliefs about God, but maybe we're missing the mark. Maybe our goal isn't love. Maybe we haven't directed our lives in the right direction. And as we partake in communion in just a second, it's a great opportunity for you to stop and ask yourself the question, you know what? In my relationships, is love the goal? Is love the goal of my relationship with my spouse? Is love the goal of my relationship with my kids? Is love the goal of my relationship with the people that I work with, that I live next to? And maybe it's a good time to pray and confess that to God. And move into a moment of having a goal of love. And then ultimately, maybe you believe the right things about God, but for some reason, you just don't have that kind of love for him. And I hope and pray that if that's you and your relationship with God is missing something, you don't desire to be in his presence. You don't desire to spend time in his word daily. This is an opportunity for you in just a second to take some time and confess that to the Lord and say, God, more than anything, I want to know you. I want to desire you. I want to love you. So God, help me set that goal back. So in just a second, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna move into this time. Christians, I hope you take an opportunity to pray, confess sin, and then when you're ready, I'm go ahead and move down and partake in communion. If you're at that starting point of not yet believing, I hope you take the opportunity to come and pray with me. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. We know it, we believe it because the word of God says it. We trust it. Lord, I pray that we can live it, we can apply it. As we come in contact with a world that needs to know that you have great love. So Lord, as we seek to believe the right things about you, as we seek to live it out with a goal of love, God, I pray this morning that we would have hearts willing and able to admit and confess where we are, but also desire to move forward. God's saying, we want what's best. We wanna aim towards love no matter the cost. Help us to stop living lives that are meaningless, pointed in every different direction and let our goal be love. Father, we thank you because you first loved us and because we would have no clue of what love is apart from that. God, I pray now that as we celebrate and remember what you've done for us, Lord, that it just breeds a hope, a joy, and excitement of the love we have back for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take some time to reflect. Pray when you're ready. Um, communion's waiting here for you. And if you need to take that first step, I'll be right back there.
precious compassion that pours 